Welcome to The New Exchange, a podcast series that explores how everyone has a story to tell. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and holy shit, am I excited for you to hear today's podcast. Our guests are two people I deeply care about and have luckily gotten to know over the years whenever they tour the States. Say hello to Australian singer-songwriters and multi-instrumentalists Alex Leahy and Sophie Payton, aka Gordy. These are two artists who are a shining example of the thriving versatility that's happening within Australia at the minute. Alex is a guitar-slinging singer with a love for pop-punk and saxophones, while Gordy's music is more introspective with a mix of acoustic instruments and electronic beats. And yes, she has indeed toured with Bonavir. Along with being life partners, they're also frequent collaborators, an understandable byproduct of living with a creative. This came to a head with a track they released earlier this year called Dinos. It's the kind of track that'll make you think about those nights out with friends, but from a more affectionate point of view. On this episode, we do chat about that song, but also generally catch up on life and explore the recent experiences that they've had. You know, like writing songs for animated Netflix movies and playing to an empty Sydney opera house. Before we get into the episode, I should mention that we recorded this before Alex released her new single, Spike the Punch, which is why we don't talk much about it. However, it's a downright incredible song and you need to hear it right after this episode. In fact, you'll find that song as part of the New Exchange playlist, along with Dino's and Gordy's track, Sandwiches. Yes, for the first time, I am adding three new tracks to the playlist rather than the standard one. I mean, yes, I do spoil you. The playlist can be found on Spotify. Just search the New Exchange playlist and it'll be the one that has my face as the cover. This is the New Exchange with Alex Leahy and Gordy. Enjoy. Yeah, um, our, our neighbors here in uh, my apartment here in Brooklyn, our neighbors are Australian and just um, yesterday kind of getting like some uh, like secondhand information about stuff that's going on with like the PM and uh, like we're recording this in the summer, American summer, but I saw just yesterday that there was an article where he was like, um, he's, maybe you guys saw it too, he was saying how he didn't shit his pants at a McDonald's in the 90s. <laughs> like yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was just kind of like, and I think a lot of people have seen that as like an obvious veil attempt to like get any of like the actual important talk away from him. He's like, hey, talk about shitting at McDonald's. Like Scott Morrison shitting his pants at the Ingerdine McDonald's is a, uh, a tale that has been going around for ages. And it seems <laughs> that um, whenever there's a national crisis that our prime minister kind of uh, decides not to address it. And in this particular case, he was obviously so desperate not to address the vaccine rollout that he was happy to bring up that incident, which we all know did happen. Um, but he <laughs> wants to make sure we think that it doesn't. What I love about getting to bring that up, like knowing how people will be hearing this months in advance is like, there'll be someone listening and they'll be thinking to themselves like, oh yeah, that happened. Well, yeah, the funny thing, like when he brought that up the other day was like, I'd forgotten about it. But, like <laughs> there's definitely been times that like, I remember when we were on tour once um, in like going south from Sydney, like to Wollongong or something like that. And like passing the Ingerdine McDonald's and being like, there it is, that's where it happened. That's the one. <laughs> that is fucking hysterical. Um, so before we jump into the music, I wanted to ask, like, 
New York has been opening up and the States has been opening up, but it's still like, it feels kind of like a baby crawling more than like a full-fledged sprint. And I really wanted to like ask you too about what it was like getting to play shows throughout 2020 and early this year, because for the most part, the rest of the world has still been unpaused. And I think it's kind of significant you got to be artists playing shows in front of people, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess for, I, like Alex last year, didn't put an album out and was sort of, you know, off cycle. And I went on cycle um, and put an, a record out, which was sometimes regrettable <laughs> given the state of the world. But um, it, it did mean that, you know, I was really trying to, to make a concerted effort to play shows to promote the record. And as a result, I did end up playing some in, yeah, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, you know, Tassie, basically as much of Australia as, as I could. Um, but it was a total nightmare trying to navigate. And, you know, I'd, you'd want to go into Sydney to play a show. I'd be in Melbourne and then the border between the two states would shut and um, we'd have to kind of rejig the entire tour. And um, I know, you know, a manager of an Australian band who ran the numbers the other day and said, you know, touring in this sort of current state with lockdowns and the pandemic, you know, they sort of estimated it costs kind of the artist 20% more than a normal tour does. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, I, I, actually, I played a show last night. Um, I'm up in Cairns in far north Queensland at the moment. And I was supposed to play shows in Queensland two weeks ago, but again, the borders got shut, so I couldn't make it. So it's been, yeah, really trying time in that respect. But um, to actually get up and play is, yeah, is an incredible feeling. I think, you know, last year, I know a lot of artists felt this way and I certainly did like, you know, like something had, had died. Like I, I felt like it was a real grieving process and not to have performing and, and touring as part of my life, you know, it, it felt like a, a loss. Like I felt like I'd really, really suffered a loss. And so getting up in front of, you know, crowds, it's, it's like a getting a hit, you know, of, of something that you just can't get anywhere else. So. Um, I do feel really, really lucky that we're able to, to do that still. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're a long way from, you know, our live music industry being back to, to where it was. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day who's, um, he was visiting from London. He's an Australian guy who's been living in London for a couple of years and was back for a family event. You know, he was saying how he's felt Melbourne change you know, especially from like the lock, like the heavy lockdown period we've had and musically as well. And he was saying that the biggest thing that he noticed musically is that people are charging a lot more money to go to shows, um, like at an entry level kind of, kind of um, stage. And, you know, we'll say, and I mentioned this to a friend of mine, like following that conversation. And I was like, have you noticed, like, have you noticed this? And they were like, yeah, they're like, you pretty much can't go to a show for like under 20 bucks, um, you know, at an entry level, whereas it, you know, it used to be like it was still bloody 2005 or something and you could go to a, you know, a show for $5. But we were kind of arguing that like, that's actually quite a positive thing for musicians to assert their value um, and to kind of have this break in like, you know, live shows going on and to come back and be like, actually like, this is how much it's worth and this is how much we're worth and this is how much we expect, like, you know, people who want to come to contribute to keep us afloat. And I think, you know, living in a world where 
consuming music, it feels like it's just like, a, it feels like it's for free. You know, like it feels like you can just get music, whatever music you want for free, anytime you want, which is, which is amazing and a beautiful thing for it to be so available. But like, it's kind of cool to see like artists draw, drawing a line somewhere. I agree for that. And especially with, you know, the venues as well, like the staff and like the overhead, like there's so much that goes into a live show that I, I do love when we get to stress it on the podcast. Cause it's like, I think when you get to look at something from just like a general viewpoint and get to look past it further, it makes it like you have a better appreciation for it. Totally. And for all I know, like it could be the venues being like, we're, you know, we've been completely fucked by the past 12 <laughs> months and we need you to charge like, you know, you can't play a show unless you charge as much money because we need to get out. Because because people aren't buying drinks at the bar anymore. I don't know. Like, you know, they need to make their money. Um, so if, like, that's the case too, it's like, well, it's all part of the same economy, really. So, um, you know, got to do your bit and support it. I was um, playing this show last night in Cairns and, you know, I, I'm always like, can sometimes be reluctant to go out to the merch desk afterwards because I hate the, you know, I hate sort of the, like, flogging your wares type vibe where you kind of go out and you're standing there awkwardly and you know because I was the support act as well um and people are sort of like oh the support act's standing there we should probably buy a cd um but honestly since the like since the lockdowns and the pandemic and since it, you're losing a year of work I'm like fuck it buy one get one free um <laughs> I think you've got to really and sing for your supper are <laughs> people buying more merch you reckon so I think that they are, yeah. Like from, you know, doing lots of tours where I've been the opening act, like, and a lot of people pay no attention to you. Like last night, yeah, people were really kind of making a, a concerted effort. And in, yeah, in the last tour and, you know, these support shows that I've done, um, I, I think we've sold more merch than ever, which is great because that's the way that really the most money ends up back in the artist's totally. pocket. Um, yeah. It's funny talking to the same friend about ticket prices. We were saying it's like anyone who's like not in the industry, like asking for door spots is like, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's actually funny you bring that up because like tours are kicking off. Like most tours are going to be kicking off here in September time and like through September to like um, December, a steady stream of shows are happening. And like just by proxy of what I do, a lot of friends from different countries specifically are trying to make the jaunt and like you know other sides of the states and like i've like been talking to a few of them and letting them know like i'm buying tickets because the idea of like texting or dming you for a guest list spot is just like it just makes you feel like the pitfall feeling in my stomach i'm just like oh no uh, no you deserve the spots again <laughs> you've earned them you've earned them i think i have i think i have. you know you know yeah. sophie what's funny about you saying that is like i remember when you opened up for Metronomy here, like in Brooklyn, like a couple of years ago. And like after um, uh, your set, like being by like that merch bit, I remember like when you saw me, I think you felt so happy to see someone that you knew that you didn't have to have that like vibe of just like, hey, buy this thing. So I'm glad I didn't just imagine that. No, totally. I like last night, I was like, I really didn't feel like drinking like a beer but I was like I'm gonna go to the merch center I have to have a beer in my hand because I'm <laughs> what am I so I think is amazing is that you know it's taken quite a while for you two to release a tune together but we finally got one in the form of Dino's and what I think is so incredible about the song is that it's a song that's both tender and yet it's able to showcase both of your songwriting sensibilities I think that's like where the song really strives 
The origins of this song traces back to Nashville. What was it about Nashville that inspired the song? So we, in yeah, 2018, um, actually just after I'd spent that time in New York doing the residency at Baby's Alright, Alex had been touring a whole lot and we both met up in New York and spent a week there and then we flew to Nashville and spent a week there and I was doing, you know, just a bit of writing for I didn't know what and Alex was writing her second record. We were staying in this Airbnb in East Nashville and it was a within walking distance to this place called Dino's. And I'd been there a couple of times on, um, the first time I'd been there was on a tour with the artist Sean Carey. And um, we rocked up that day and the, all the guys in the band were like, oh man, we have to go to Dino's. Like it's got the best food and just such a good vibe. So I was really busting to go back there. And um, yeah, we didn't, we didn't even mean to book this Airbnb around the corner, but we did. And so we ended up kind of going there every day. Um, and yeah, it's just the, the vibe of the place is awesome. The food's great. You know, they, the, the guy behind the bar plays the most like criminal playlist of like Vanessa <laughs> McCarthy and like, um, no, who's, who am I thinking of? Vanessa Carlton. Um, and just like, you know, all those sorts of like cringeworthy bangers. One day, um, Alex was in this writing room and he was like, you know, we, we both thought we had a spare day. Why don't we write, try and write a song together? And so we didn't really know what it was going to be for. We thought we might write a song for someone else. And we just kind of found ourselves writing about Dino's, you know, speaking to kind of our, both our styles really coming together. Like we both really, you know, fortunately felt like that happened quite naturally. And I think that, you know, speaks to the way that we kind of allow room for each other to, to do our own thing and, um, you know, to really play to our individual strengths. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think by like nine o'clock, we'd essentially come out with a completed song and, you know, we only had to retrack drums and vocals and piano so we yeah we wrapped up in that room and went out and ate pasta and drank beer and yeah best best songwriting day ever that's amazing and like you know i haven't been in a while but nashville is like one of my favorite places and interestingly enough i think one of the reasons why and i I think i talked with you about this a bit alex like the last time i talked to you is about like I feel like Nashville has a similarity with uh, Boston, where both cities have this thing where people within those cities aren't necessarily trying to be cool. Like, there's not an air of, like, pretension that exists when you're, like, out and about. And I think it's interesting where it's, like, like, obviously, I love New York, and I think L.A. is great, but there is this kind of thing of, like, just general posturing. Everyone does it in here. And I think when you get to go to a place like Nashville and see that it's not so much at least it's not like overt at least it's there's something like to that yeah totally i almost feel like i watched this um like that this is pop documentary like on netflix the other day which is like you know a very sort of like soft look at like various parts of music and they talk about sweden in one episode and try to dissect like why sweden is so like successful and culturally like rich and huge contributors to pop music and they kind of concluded that it was about this particular thing in Swedish culture where they really don't like talking about themselves and talking about their success. And they're kind of suggesting that that's like the reason why they're so comfortable contributing in the way that they do and like contributing to things that are really successful, but are not looking for the the glory. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if like there's something similar about that in like your Boston's or your Nashville's or your like, even like Chicago or whatever, like, oh, yeah. you know, far more than 
you know, everyone in LA is there to be a star, you know? Um, whereas like, it's not so much the case in like these other towns and, you know, and yet there's this certain like, yeah, really rich cultural output that comes from there. But I mean, I just think Nashville's fantastic and, you know, it's so much fun. And the thing I really like about it is that it's obviously known for being like the country music capital of the world, but actually there's just so much more going on there you know, the punk scene is enormous in like Nashville and like those surrounding parts in Tennessee. And no one really talks about that a lot. And, um, you know, I actually think that it's far more diverse than it gets credit for. And when you go there, you get to kind of uncover these things for yourself and it makes it all the more exciting, which is pretty cool. That is very true. And you saying that kind of reminded me of um, like loads of people obviously go to Nashville as well to do like songwriting and there's loads of songwriting camps and retreats. And friends of mine from Ireland I mean this is like a bit of a funny story but they were part of like this retreat thing and uh Hoysier was part of it as well and I remember and like how they described the experience it was very much like how uh so many people go and have like things kind of thought out like people from different cities like New York LA or London and like kind of have like you know they think about the the presence aspect like almost like a social media vibe but here was this guy that went there just like with a bunch of songs and the way I've had friends related to me is that like he was like the last person you would think would become a star from that type of um, environment, like seeing how shy he was. But then like he went to Nashville and just focused on songs and like look what ended up happening. Mm. Yeah, I think like, you know, there is that like you feel that kind of rich cultural songwriting tradition when you go there. And, you know, like when you go to any bar, there's there's live music, there's kind of just live music everywhere yeah everyone's sort of singing original music you know which is a really inspiring thing to see it's really beautiful and you know going back to dino's real quick i think one of the things that i love that i have been loving about doing this series is that i realized that if there's anything consistent that songwriters tend to share in common is that their songs tend to also surprise themselves as well as us as listeners which i always find myself thinking like on to some degree it's like these things that you're extracting from yourself you must have like some insight to them but then it's like you know into conversations like it's all new to them so i'm curious this is like quite a big question but i wonder like what do you feel you've learned from each other from your experience in making dinos and alex let's start with you like what do you feel like you learned from sophie being able to make this song from sophie well i feel i've always said that sophie's like the the master of like voicings and so like in terms of like being able, I don't know if you like hear it in your head as you're doing it, but it feels like you do. Like you can hear the, where the notes are sitting, like in an arrangement, like in real time and be able to kind of like spit it out, which is like amazing. And I think it's also like a really big part of like the gaudy sound in, in your piano playing as well. And like, you know, especially that like bridge when we were in, in Dino's when it sort of like goes into kind of more or less like this choral section, I would say. And we were writing the song and then the bridge kind of, it's like, what are we going to do? And so it's like, you sing this note and I'll sing this note. And then you and so forth and sang another melody in it. And it was all just layered. And that's just like, what's in the song? Like that from that like moment is what's in the recording. Yeah. And I was really like astounded by, by her ability to do that. Kind of just like the, you know, and just not overthinking it either and just like going for it. Yeah. I thought that was quite brilliant. Essentially, she's a Jedi master, is what you're saying. Yeah? He is. He's a Jedi. <laughs> oh, well, Sophie, how are you going to, 
Are you ready to match or top that? <laughs> um, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I mean, for me, it was kind of like, a, yeah, a couple of things. The first one was that that was sort of the first song I'd written that I was going to then sing that I'd written with, with someone else. So I'd sort of never had someone that close. Alex was sort of the first person I, you know, who showed me all the ways you can use a guitar. I know that sounds really simple, but like, you know, I think that I'd always thought of the guitar as, as exactly what it was, something that just sort of like strummed and played chords. But, um, you know, the way Alex would kind of record something and like pitch it around and, and really make it useful in so many capacities was something that, that was sort of surprising to me. Um, and just, you know, how, how good she is with, with lyrics. Um, I remember we were trying to write the first verse and I was like, you know, I was like thinking about, you know, walking through Nashville, it was so damn hot during that time. And I was like, you know, the air, like the air is so thick, like say we're walking down to this bar and like the air is thick as like, thick as something. And Alex is like thick as honey. And I was like, oh, yes. And I was like, I just never would have arrived at that on my own. And that was like one tiny example of like, you know, I felt like um, Alex is such a good, good finisher like of, of ideas you know if, if something would kind of begin it and needs to be tamed into a final thought or a final sentence or a final note or chord um alex will really get it there so um yeah those are the things that that i learned oh, you the director's cut is we went down to dino's it was thick as honey and you were looking just as thick but i got vetoed on that one <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, couldn't finish that one that actually is quite clever though <laughs> but a different vibe. So I thought you like boring. <laughs> um, you also worked together on a song called "On My Way" for the Netflix animated film "The Mitchells vs. the Machines." And funnily enough, my first experience hearing this song was while watching the movie. And um, I have to say, like, it was such a nice surprise, like getting to the credits and like hearing Alex's voice. And I remember like looking at myself, thinking, like, "Wait, what the?" Like, it just totally took me by surprise. Um, tell me about how the story about how this one came about. Yeah, well, I got contacted about this film. It was a while ago. Like, I mean, I suppose we wrote the song in May last year, like 12 months ago. And then I would have got the email for that song in, like, February. So, like, a while, a while back. And basically the story is that, like, this film had already decided that they wanted to use another one of my songs in the film. And they we're looking for a song for the final credits. Um, music supervisor was like, oh, you know, you should have a crack at it. And I got this brief and it was just sitting in my inbox for ages. Like, I think, like I said, I got it in February. Like that was the same month that I had to like rush home to Melbourne. I got put into lockdown. Like, you know, everyone was like, what the hell's going on? And so it's sort of like sunk to the bottom of my priority list. But then in May, there was like this very brief opening in Melbourne between lockdown phases of lockdown and I was going to hang out with my friend Gab and you know he and I write lots of songs together for all sorts of artists and he and I were just going to get together and write something for fun and I remember I was just about to leave and Soph was in the house I don't think you were doing anything that day and I was like been locked in the house for three months like just come and (laughs) hang out like somewhere and came along to Gab's studio and we were like, what should we do today? And then I said, I've got this brief that's been sitting in my inbox for ages. Like maybe that's a fun thing to do and see what happens. And yeah, whipped it out and 
the song came together so easily between the three of us. Like, and it was also just such a beautiful thing for three friends, you know, with so much history and admiration for one another, like to be together in real time after so long and make music for fun, you know, like there was no pressure, you know, and none of us thought, you know, we I remember we finished the song, we were like, man, like imagine if they actually use this, like this would be pretty cool. And, you know, I sent it to send a response to the email with that song attached to it. And I think by that point that actually maybe had organized for an existing recording to be on it. Like they, I think so much time had passed that they were like, Oh, we're just going to use this other song. And then they got that one and they're like, Oh, actually. And they changed the edit of the film to include it, which is pretty cool. It was quite, it was, it's fun for me to just to have like a real pop song in my catalog, you know? Um, and, and for it to exist in another world, like, you know, that song is not like, it's something that I've released, but it's not a part of, you know, it's part of a different world, which I really like about it. And, um, it's nice for it to occupy that space. And, you know, I'm really, um, stoked that the movie itself is awesome too. And, you know, stands for a lot of things that I stand for. And yeah, it's cool to just have it be a part of that and for it to come from a beautiful place and with beautiful people in my life. It's cool. I was going to say that that especially is a really big thing. Like I was almost afraid of sounding glib, but like, I mean, God, how great is it that the song exists within a film that's actually genuinely great as well? Like I remember watching it and thinking that like, in terms of like how sporadic and erratic, wow, look at me actually get nailing both of those words back to back, but the way like people's minds are nowadays due to technology, seeing a film convey that in a way that feels very true. And the film also has a lot of heart, even with that. Like, that was really impressive. Yeah, it's awesome. I'll never forget, like, having a conversation with Mike, um, who, like, wrote and directed the film. And, you know, this is when they would rather put the song in. And he was kind of, because I'd never seen it. I'd never seen the movie. And, like, he was sort of explaining it to me. And he was like, I've been working on this for eight years. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Like, that's insane. So I'm happy for him that it's good too. <laughs> <laughs> that would be heartbreaking. Can you imagine yeah. it's like Rotten Tomatoes a 12 or something like that. Oh my God, there's eight years. <laughs> you two did a lovely session for uh, KXB a while back with um, the incredible, the legendary, the myth, Cheryl Waters. And um, I have to say, hearing the way that you performed uh, sandwiches especially, honestly, thank you for that. Because it really was something else when like seeing that and just like, I mean, it made me just, all I could think to myself was, I hope I see you perform that tune together in the future. Yeah, well, thank you. That's very kind. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, we both bloody love Cheryl Waters. She's such a queen. And we were both so excited to, um, you know, to do that KXP session. And it was really fun because, yeah, we sort of, you know, when you play your own shows, you do get so locked into the way that, you know, songs are played um, and doing that sort of little duo setup where we, you know, played Dino and we played a couple of our own songs each. Um, we had to sort of, you know, reimagine how we might do it. As a pair, I said to Alex, I was like, do you think you can play the harmonium? Which she's never done before. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, 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 sure. Keys, pumping, fun. And, you know, created this really beautiful part. And um, I, I just love the harmonium. I think it, yeah, it's such a beautiful instrument to play live in a world where we have so much processing of, instruments and synths and sounds like the harmonium it just is what it is and um it can really fill up a room and yeah alex played it beautifully and i hope i get to play it for you one day too kim 
Look at Alex with the save there. Look at that. Huge save. I wanted to ask you a few things, Sophie, actually, because, you know, it's interesting that um, I felt like when I was, like, watching that performance, it actually left me feeling that it was extra poignant to hear a song like that after, like, how 2020 happened. And I wonder, like, how has it been for you to have people reach out to you about such a personal song? Because I imagine with a song like this, people have definitely, you know, taken it with them. Yeah, they have, you know. I mean, my my whole record was... Um, yeah, really kind of personal, personal story, um, which sort of started with the, the opening song, Aeroplane Bathroom, which, you know, was all in the background of sort of, you know, me processing new aspects of my identity on the background of Australia voting on the same-sex marriage debate. And the very end of the story was, you know, me having a real heart-to-heart conversation with my grandmother, who I was very close with. And um, a month later, she died. And that's what Sandwiches is about, that kind of, that experience of loss, that, that experience so many people can, can relate to. And a lot of people reached out last year and, yeah, and, you know, it, it, it was an incredibly meaningful thing. But I think the, the loss, you know, it, itself was something that people couldn't get away from last year. You know, as, as someone who has experienced loss, I think that searching for solace in you know, something creative in, in music and in film and in, in reading. Um, that's really where, you know, I can often find a voice that, that sounds like the one in my head. And so I think, you know, that's, that's what people found in, in sandwiches. Yeah. I remember I had to reach out to you as well after it because I went through a similar thing. So, yeah, it just really did mean a lot, honestly. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And, you know, another big thing I wanted to ask you about and I, I really, it like came into my mind as I was watching it is that um, you had the crazy experience of playing to an empty Sydney opera house. And I remember like for me, I watched it on YouTube like on a Sunday morning. And it was one of those things I found myself just think about the performance all day. Like just the context, the way the songs were arranged. I'm just like, I mean, I know obviously the fact that it was empty wasn't ideal, but the fact that it exists in the way that it does and the fact that you got to do that, that's you got to do that. Yeah. No, I, I, it was, it was honestly one of the highlights of my life, even though yeah, it was empty. It was instantly live streamed across the internet, which honestly is more scary than having a real <laughs> audience. Um, because if you screw up, you're like, well, that is, that exists forever now. And we had like, you know, a woman with a headset side of stage being like 10, nine, eight, seven. Oh my God, got to start this performance. But it was, yeah, it was unreal. And, you know, after I'd been sitting with this record for so long to get the opportunity to, you know, be with my band for five days and learn it um, and flesh out the arrangements was, that's my favourite part of the whole process is, is translating recordings into a live show. Yeah, a year on, I'm supposed to play at the Opera House again next month to an actual audience um, as part of the, the festival. But... Sydney's now in lockdown, so I may play once again. (laughs) I think, yeah, lose its sort of vibe the second time around. But um, anyway, we'll see what happens. Well, for people who are listening, because if you're listening in the future, for people who got to attend the Opera House show, uh, very jealous of you. And um, if you didn't, well, that kind of sucks. But uh, yeah. (laughs) You know, like something I feel very privileged about is having gone to like so many of your shows over the years. And I feel like, what I've noticed with those shows and talking to people who also love your music is that 
it's not just that you've both released albums and EPs out into the world, but you've released music that people really have taken with them in their own lives. Like, so if we were talking mostly recently about like um, your album, Our Two Skins, and Alex, you recently, like a while back, released the EP Between the Kitchen and the Living Room. And I think what's really amazing is that it just shows how your music has spanned beyond Australia. And I wonder in that context, like, how do you both feel about each other's bodies of work? Because you're at the point now where you do have bodies of work. It's not like singular anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's really special to watch any artist, you know, you know, well and how their kind of journey pans out. Um, and, you know, obviously a hundredfold watching Alex's and I have been, you know, a fan from, from the very beginning. And, the, you know, I Love You Like a Brother was such a yeah, seminal record and such a launching pad for Alex, which, you know, came off the back of an already really successful EP. And that, you know, the song You Don't Think You Like People Like Me. And I love watching Alex's shows. And, you know, when she plays that song and people just absolutely live for it and, um, you know, still do years after it's been released, you know, then going on to Alex's second record, The Best of Luck Club. To me, that's a, you know, a really, really special record for a lot of reasons. But watching Alex make that with, with Catherine Marks, that, who produced it, you know, it was, it was really cool to watch Alex expand into sort of a producing role and, and really kind of flesh out those arrangements. And, um, and then, you know, to EP, which she entirely engineered and produced on her own, um, you know, it, it's so special to get, yeah, a front row seat to kind of to watching all of that. I can assure you that the next record is going to be awesome. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same for me, like with Soph, like I was a Gordy fan long before I'd ever met Sophie. And I remember like hearing, can we work it out? I was walking home from my job at the time. And I remember it coming on in my headphones for some reason. I think I must have like saved it in a playlist. And, and I was like, what is this? And like looking down, it was Gordy. And then I think you had like three songs on Triple J and Earth at the time, which I went and got. And, just flogged um but yeah i mean it's so interesting to watch with the gordy project like the thing that's most different to mine is that you know sophie has two names you know and there's gordy and there's sophie payton and it's so cool to sort of watch her i guess like kind of let them like go in and out of each other at different points and um it's really exciting for me to watch gordy kind of become even more of Sophie as it goes on and still seeing Sophie as a you know producer and a writer and a and a composer and an, and an artist and you know a, th- a thinker and voice like kind of develop as well like be, like beyond Gordy and sort of occupy like a bigger space than Gordy you know just by virtue of of it of it being not just of you know your name being not just a project and that's like so awesome to see. And I think Gordy and Sophie have had sort of like occupied a really significant space during the pandemic. And especially like in Australia, it's been amazing to see, you know, this artist and musician be a really meaningful voice, you know, in the space of how the arts is going to move on from this pandemic and, and actually having the experience of being a frontline worker like during this time to inform that as well and it's I feel like as an artist like I'm so grateful to have someone like that speaking on my behalf 
And I think that that's really special. But I mean, to speak to the Gordy project, like specifically, like the thing that I love about it the most is that you just never know what's coming next. You know, from one record, from Reservoir to to Our Two Skins, like they're, you know, very different records. And I feel like as Sophie allows more of herself in and like becomes more involved in the process, especially, which I know you love to do, the records are just, yeah, there's just so much depth and they feel kind of like limitless and feels like the the voice will always be there regardless of, you know, the decisions that are made. So it's exciting as a listener to to watch. And now, you know, Sophie and I are in each other's lives. Like, whereas we weren't, when I first heard, can we work it out? It's just a privilege for me to kind of like watch it happen. Oh, we just right. say stuff to each other every morning. It's just like such yeah. an affirmation. <laughs> and I mean, I, I have to like, going off what Alex just said, uh, I should mention as well that um, it's actually really trippy, Sophie, because last time I saw you properly, I think you were like on the cusp of uh, finishing med school. You just finished. And the thing about what just happened um, with 2020, about like how you essentially got to work as a frontline worker and use your like medical knowledge and really do so good. I mean, big ups to you on that. That's like, it's massive, man. Oh, thanks, Ken. Yeah, I mean, last time I saw you, I think it was 2018. And um, I had like, yeah, sat on my final med exams at the end of 2017. And I kind of had a couple of things to 2018 was like my year of finishing things off. And then I started working um in 2019 and yeah you know I, obviously last year um was such a an unplanned thing but i found myself you know essentially unemployed back in australia um i had no touring i had no job and yeah you know when victoria like when the state that melbourne is in started to you know get sort of hit hard relatively speaking in australia by the pandemic um there were lots of lots of jobs going. So, you know, then I was working in hospitals which were understaffed because of, you know, people having COVID and a year on I'm now working in vaccination clinics hoping to, um, yeah, see the back of this terrible time. It's such important work. Like, I mean, with that experience, like, not to, like, uh, take away from the situation, like, make it seem light or anything, but it's almost kind of like, like that to me almost sounds like when you're on an airplane and if someone like has like some kind of like medical fit and they like go like, is there a doctor on the plane? It's like, you, you just have to, you don't have a choice, do you? No, yeah. I mean, it did feel a bit like that. Like, it, it you know, and yeah, not to sound too, I don't know, whatever, but like it, it did feel like a bit of a, you know, they like put the call out and they, there was, you know, like hospitals everywhere where there weren't enough doctors, you know, there weren't enough healthcare workers. Um, and it just felt, yeah, I felt like how could I just sort of sit here given that I've got this, you know, I've been privileged enough to have this training. How could I kind of just sit here and, and not do anything? You know, I mean, yeah, rel- still relatively speaking, I, I, have been, I haven't been working full time. I'm just kind of doing shifts when I can. Um, so it's, yeah, but I guess it's, you know, you got to just be a number because that's what they need at the moment. It's still so important. And for people listening, the joke didn't bomb. There were silent laughs. They existed. They were there. I'll remember them. <laughs> I will internalize them. <laughs> Before we run, I wanted to just ask you guys a couple more things. But um, like I think something that's so reflective of everything we've been discussing with the music is that it really kind of highlights how albums essentially showcase growth, which is obvious, but I feel like you both consistently embrace growth. And 
I think that's nice in how you recognize that with one another and like how the, your careers have been evolving. Would you say in a sense like that quality is like just essential that you find essential to songwriting, like having the, ch- the ability to change? Yeah, I think so. Like, I also like, you know, for, to speak from my experience recently, like I've been really kind of like staunch about like writing my own songs and no one else kind of being a part of that process. And like my first two records were written that way. And, you know, like my solo project was kind of birthed from, you know, me being in various bands that were highly collaborative and kind of feeling like, oh, this isn't really working for me and I want to see what it sounds like if I do it on my own. So like, I guess by virtue of that, I've always been like, this is like the, you know, the heart of the, of my process for this process for this project is that I only write by myself, but it's funny. Like after doing my second record, I was like, Oh, you know, I know I can write a record by myself. Like, and I, and to be honest, like, I think if I do another one that way, like it's probably not going to be like any better. Like, you know, I kind of want to challenge myself and, you know, like exactly like you said, Ken, like I just wanted to grow and I decided that I wanted to bring people into that process and, you know, and I've learned heaps from doing that. And, you know, whether or not that means like I go back into the old process again and see how that's changed or whatever, I don't know. Like, it's just nice to be really flexible and not for any other reason than like, oh, you know, I just want a different experience and I want to do these things a different way and see what happens. And I think that's what, you know, creativity is about. And Creativity is definitely something that needs to be exercised and nurtured and like approached in different ways to grow. Um, And, you know, I've really been taking that on, especially these past 18 months and thinking about, you know, my creativity in that way, because, you know, I want to be writing songs for the rest of my life. And as every songwriter's worst nightmare is that the, the songs run out. So like, what can you do to kind of like make sure that that never happens? And like, how can you take responsibility for your, creativity to make sure that you can just keep doing this thing that you love all the time and that it doesn't become something that is troubling or makes you sad or you know um you know my worst nightmare is that I wake up in the morning and I can't think of anything worse than making music you know so you know everything that I can do to stop that from happening like in my lifetime is is something I'll do yeah I mean for me like I I feel like the first part of my career and sort of, you know, my teens and early 20s, like, I felt like my songwriting was sort of just like a tap that was always on, you know, it was just kind of like rushing water and I was, it would, a song would just come out and it would kind of, I'd write it as I did on that day and it would not change, you know, that would just be the song. I think like, as, as the years go by, um, it, it does change a bit in that, it you know, songwriting for me doesn't feel like a tap that's always on anymore. It's sort of, just to stick with the water analogy, um, it feels more like, you know, there's, there's a well attached to the tap and I spend more time trying to fill up the well and then when the time feels right, I, I kind of turn on the tap and try and, you know, have some more considered output and then turn it off and go back to filling up the well. And I think filling up the well for me is now, now the most important part of the process. So, and that means, you know, living life and having experiences and, um, meeting new people and listening to stories that aren't mine um, and then, you know, translating all of that into creative output. That's kind of, you know, the headspace I'm, I'm in at the moment. And I think I'm not in the sort of dedicated process of making a new um, album yet. I'm sort of in the 
the embryonic stages of you know wondering what the music's going to sound like next um so yeah we'll we'll see how that changes over time but but yeah i definitely think change in your songwriting is is essential to it growing and, and going anywhere we're having um significant plumbing problems at our house which is why i say so many water analogies at the moment. <laughs> are, you, are you actually are you just taking the piss or not no we are we <laughs> actually <laughs> There's like there's a lost there's a lost river under our house that we uh we've been knee deep in. <laughs> that, that's actually why I'm in camps. I don't have shows. I've just I've just <laughs> just running away from the. Before I let you run here, um, I think if I remember correctly, when you guys did that session with Cheryl, uh, she did she asked the obvious question about uh music you guys were making together beyond Dinos, and I think at the end you mentioned that you weren't, but. I mean, I have to ask because I'm sure anyone listening now is going to be raging and thinking like I'd be crazy if I'm not asking. Are you guys making music? And if so, like, what can you say about it? Because I know there must be a plan or an semblance or an idea of a plan. But like, how do you feel about the music you've been making together if you are indeed making music together? I mean, Alex has actually been helping me write some songs lately um, for my project, which has been really nice. Um, and yeah, I think we're definitely like open when we have a bit more time and a bit less water under our house to, um, <laughs> you know, collaborating again together. Um, it definitely feels like, you know, that collaboration doesn't feel like it has a full stop, you know, at any point. I think it will just, yeah, um, it'll just kind of happen when it, when it happens. But, um, you know, we're both yeah creating music all the time and sometimes find ourselves in the same room. So I'm sure it'll, it'll happen at some point i don't know what do you think alex yeah no i agree it also just occurred to me that i don't think you've played on any of the songs on my new record yet so we'll have to create a harmonium part or something for you to play. <laughs> yeah <laughs> in the heavier song yeah no i think like it's just a an ongoing collaboration in a way like and i think that our you know, us working together will manifest in all sorts of different ways. Like it might, it may be another Gordy Alex Leahy track. It may be in a Gordy song. It may be in a song that I put out for a movie or it may be, you know, something we've written for another artist or whatever. Like I think that it's a really lovely thing to share. Like to use a, you know, metaphor, it's like if two people can both like build a car, then they're going to build many cars together because they both like possess that skill um you know i feel like it's the same with us it's like we're two people who are capable of doing this thing which is make music so it's like of course we're going to like you know be making music together um so i think it's kind of interesting to think about it now which i hadn't thought about that you know because i was always like oh we've just done dino's this one thing like i wonder when we're going to do something else but actually we've done heaps of stuff and and they just exist in all these different kind of like spaces which is really cool it's nice not to overthink it and just let it happen and find out that we've worked on the same projects it's cool and i mean i have to say first i have to say i'm surprised that dog analogy turned out as well as it did because actually work i have to say good <laughs> job on that <laughs> but um you know i i think what rings true to everything that you both of you just said is that within dino specifically you could hear that where when you whenever i listen to that song it feels like it came from such a pure place and that there's nothing like formal or thought out about it from like a, like a sense of like it being like, this is business or something we need to do. It feels like it came from a genuine creative place. And I think that, that must be reflective of what you were saying about like how 
just by virtue of like you know existing the way that you do like the doors are always open which there's something really special to that yeah Yeah, i think so we're always listening to like a wide variety of music and you know we're always like like exploring different kinds of sounds and you know i think that um neither of us feel you know feel a pressure to collaborate together um which sort of you know just makes it a fun thing every time we um we do end up doing that yeah well i'm sure i speak for loads of music fans out there in the world but like yeah it's just nice knowing that's a possibility because yeah it just it does feel like you guys are kindred spirits like and that dino song man like i feel like every time it's one of those songs that has that quality that every time i put it on i feel like i'm hearing it for the first time oh, that's, that's awesome yeah guys thanks so much i'm so glad i got to chat with you yeah. thanks for hanging with us Thank you so much for checking this out. Be sure to subscribe to The New Exchange via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you stream podcasts. Until next time, thank you for listening.